Hey guys, welcome back to the Foam Frat Podcast. Got a special episode today. Sam Ireland drove all the ways up from Pewaukee, and we uh, are spending some time together talking a little bit about dieting and exercise. We worked out at the gym this morning, and I just want to give a brief little history on some thoughts that I had originally based on uh, working out and putting on muscle, and Sam and I... I mean, we both grew up pretty skinny kids, right? I mean, what was the most you weighed in high school? Yeah, probably around 160-some pounds at the most. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I just remember, like, looking at pictures of myself, and I could see, like, my shoulder blades, like, protruding out the back of my shirt. And when I got into EMS and fire, you know, the guys were all working out, and, you know, the thought was, like, oh, you had to be buff. You know, you had to have these big arms, and you had to fill out that – navy blue fire department t-shirt and so i started looking at how can i gain weight and you know if you look if you google how do i gain weight there's all these muscle tips and different websites and bodybuilder.com and pretty much all of it was just like eat you know there was a saying you get big in the kitchen not in the gym and eat ice cream every night before you go to bed you know store those calories you're, you're young you're gonna burn through it all you know don't do as much cardio do all heavy lifting i remember five sets of five was a big thing so go as heavy as you can for five sets for five reps and eventually, I did put on the weight, and I started feeling good. I started filling out my shirts a little bit better, and I was talking to Sam earlier, and I remember kind of a turning point. Like, we hadn't seen each other in a few months, and we went out, and you said, yeah, I've noticed that you know, you're putting on some gains, and I started liking that. I was eating tons of pizza. I put on the weight, and then, you know, here we are. We're both working at Lifestar, and you tell me that you're changing up your diet. And you are going to do something called intermittent fasting. And I'm thinking, Sam is already skinny. Why is he fasting? Why is he starving himself? I didn't understand it. You remember that? Yeah. I I think that I was even nervous to tell people that I was doing it because it seemed like such a trend thing to do. And I watched some YouTube videos on it. I heard about it. And everything that I was learning about it seemed to make sense. I, I think that I was attracted to it too because like, you know, I grew up as a skinny kid, but then like, as I got a little bit older, I had a problem with like, you, you know, you ever heard the term like skinny fat? Yeah. Like you're, you don't have a ton of muscle on your body, but you also have like awkward fat places and stuff like that. And so I had, you know, weight issues in, in my own, in my own right, where it wasn't like a pure like pounds issue, but like, I just didn't feel good about my body image at all. And I, and so I decided to try something different. And so you, you mentioned that, and I was, like, clowning you and sending you, like, memes of, like, real skinny little guys flexing. Yep. And and then I, then Chad did it, and Chad did it with you, and Chad was, like, all of a sudden slimming down. And Chad is our buddy that we worked with at Lifestar. And he was, like, getting a six-pack. I started noticing you were just looking, like, more shredded and ripped. And I'm like, this is crazy because, like, I thought you're supposed to eat, like, a bunch of meals throughout the day to try to... Uh, keep your metabolism rolling. And then I thought, well, if I'm, you know, because you weren't fasting for 24 hours necessarily, right? How did you break into it? I broke into it um, with just 16-hour fast. And so you basically have this thing called an eating window. And so you'd time it out where 
you'd figure out like eight hours in the day where you would, you know, be free to eat whatever it is that you were going to eat for that day. And so I can't remember the, the exact time frames, but like a time from when I stopped, like when I ate dinner and then I'd figure, okay, 12 hours from now. So if I ate dinner at like, you know, 6 PM, okay, well then 6 AM would be 12 hours. And then I just got to go like, you know, six more hours than that. And then that'll be like my my fast for the day. I'll do 16 and, you know, just repeat. And it kind of like morphed from there to where I was feeling really good doing that. And I was getting the results that I wanted to. And so I did sometimes extend them to like 24 hour fast and stuff where I would just eat like one humongous meal per day. Like I would wait pretty much until dinner time. And then I would eat an insane amount of food and then I would fast for another 24 hours and just like repeat that. And sometimes I would do that for like days and days in a row. And it appealed to me because I started seeing like, uh, I watched some of the videos on YouTube that I had made and I'm like, damn it, I'm getting a double chin. Like my face looks fat that that one where I did the syringe for the vagal maneuvers. I can't even stand to watch that video anymore because I felt like my face was just like getting full. And, you know, I was doing some creatine and eating a bunch of, you know, carbs and ice cream. I wasn't dieting at all. I was just like, oh, I just want to get as big as I can. You know, I'm going to do the Bane from Batman workout. And then you read some of these celebrities when they're talking about what they did for a role to put on a bunch of weight real quick. And that's what it is. It's just like carb loading. And so I was like, you know what? I I could probably lose some weight. I was married, put on a little baby weight. (laughs) And then I, uh, so I'm like, I'm going to try it. And my big fear was that my blood sugars were going to drop because I had had hypoglycemia in the past where I would be on a call And all of a sudden, I'd start feeling shaky, and I'd always carry a Gatorade with me in the ambulance. And I would try to, uh, you know, if I I started feeling shaky, I would check my glucose actually in the ambulance, drink a bunch of Gatorade. So I'm thinking, this is not going to work for me. I will not be able to go 16 hours without eating. And so I tried it, and I remember texting you and being like, dude, I got through like eight hours today. I got through 10 hours and I slowly was trying to break into the 16 hours. And then once I did it, it became a lot easier. And I think that this diet, it's not even really a diet. It's more of just a lifestyle of how you're going to eat and just changing those windows of eating. It was really good for me being an EMS because we know that in EMS, Uh, We're catching our meals on the fly, right? We're stopping at Culver's, we're stopping at um, McDonald's, whatever. We're eating fast food. You know, if you try to pack a lunch or something like that, you're never going to see the station. You're going to be gone all day. And so I realized that in EMS, it's not only important for us to like take good care of patients, but like we got to take good care of ourselves. And we have to be able to represent ourselves. And I I think it looks good if. You know, if you're the person who's taking care of you is not 400 pounds and it looks like they are actually they know a little bit about the body and how it processes and how it works. And I think that it kind of just gives a professionalism, too. So why do you think do you think it's just EMS in general that has a hard time with obesity or do you think that this is just kind of epidemic all over? I mean, EMS does have some very specific things that do contribute to obesity. I mean, you you think about 
shift work in general is always rough for people because you got these weird sleeping schedules and that can that can really mess with your cortisol levels and you know cortisol can you make you put on weight weird places you mentioned the fast food we're always snacking in ems rooms that's a bunch of garbage food and stuff like that and you know before we get too deep into the the podcast here i did just want to mention like you know tyler and i were not physicians or anything like that we'd kind of go based off of our personal experiences and what we read and research online and stuff and basically everything that i'm going to talk about in this podcast is just regurgitated information from a few important who i feel like extremely important in the diet world those people would be like uh, if you look up robert lustig um jason fung is probably like the biggest one that i follow um ted Naiman, uh, sean baker uh tim noakes i mean he he's really paved the way for a lot of stuff uh gary taubes and a lot of these people are you know, associated with like dietdoctor.com and like there's so much amazing information on that website for everything that we're going to talk about and also i started listening to this new podcast too it's called the low carb md podcast and um those two guys in there have interviewed some really great people and they they're also kind of a wealth of knowledge and so those are really the people that you know we get this information from and so if if you follow those people already you're going to notice that a lot of the stuff that i talk about is just kind of recycled stuff but i mean that's because it's true i mean there's like some universal truths out there about like managing your weight and stuff like that and right i mean this isn't something we came up with no with our whiteboard and no this isn't like the foam frat (laughs) diet podcast or anything like that i mean this is like this is like actual medical studies and 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 people who are confirming this no yeah absolutely and you got me into it and sam knows like a hundred times more about this stuff than i do um basically what i took from our conversations was that uh, cut down on sugar, fat's really not a big deal, and that I should fast 16 hours. So, And it makes it easy if you do the majority of that while you're sleeping. And so what I would do is I would not eat anything after 10 o'clock at night, and then I wouldn't eat my first meal until after 2 p.m. the next day. And I could rearrange that. You know, if I'm like, I'm not hungry and it's 6 o'clock, well, then I wouldn't eat anything after 6, and then I would just bump those hours up a little bit faster. So it would. my goal was to hit 16 hours. And, dude, I noticed, like, tons of weight dropping off doing that. And that was weird because I wasn't really counting my calories at all. And so that brings us to the question of, if you talk to somebody about dieting, they say it's it's simple. It's calories in, calories out. You know, if you are taking more calories in than you're than you're burning exercising or your like basal metabolic rate, well then you're just going to put on weight. Is that true? What do you think of that? So if if you're talking to anybody and you're trying to get diet advice, you're trying to get any advice on how to lose weight, what affects your weight, and somebody starts talking to you about the calories in, calories out, you know, a lot of people will say, well, move more and eat less. You know, that was even a big campaign in the United States that that happened some years ago. But that's always been everybody's answer to it. Well, it's the calories. It's the calories. You just, if you eat more than you're burning, then there you go. And that and that seems like it would work out when you when you first hear it. Like we put calorie counts on everything and initially it sounds like 
Well, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes mathematical sense. I mean, calories are energy, and if you're not expending the energy that you're bringing in, well, of course you're going to lose weight. But the problem with that is that every single study that's ever been done on whether or not it's strictly calories has failed. If you put somebody on a calorie-restricted diet, they will not maintain weight loss long-term. Why is that? So when we talk about calories, you know, if, if let's say we talked about like muscle building, you know, no one contests that like testosterone builds muscle, HGH builds muscle, you know, serotonin and dopamine affect your mood and stuff like that. But when we start talking about food and what manages our weight, we think it's all about the calories. So I'll tell you a story about why this, this doesn't work. Uh, my sister, she doesn't, she doesn't listen to this podcast, so we can, we can talk about her. She was on this really crazy diet. And so she was allowed to eat, listen to this, five apples a day. That was it? Five apples a day and water. And they, she got, they got her with one of those schemes where they give you like the vitamin B12 injection. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So she drove down to this place. They give her the, the injections and all this other kind of garbage and stuff. And put her on water and just tell her to eat five apples a day. That's it. And so an apple has like 100 calories. So she's eating like 500 calories a day. And so if you listen to the dogma about calories in, calories out theory, they'll say that if you want to burn a pound of fat, you got to be at a deficit of like 3,500 calories to lose that pound, which is a really stupid way of looking at weight loss, by the way. But let's, you know, let's say that her metabolism is that she burns like 200 calories per day and, you know, she was working out during this. So maybe like an extra like 500 and so she'd be at a net loss of like 2,000 calories a day. So if you look at that, like uh, over a week, that'd be like 14,000 a week. You divide that by 3,500. This is like how this thing goes with people who count the calories. They're, they're doing the math in their head. And they say, okay, if, you know, divide that by 3,500 for how many pounds of fat. And Yeah, you've already lost me with that. <laughs> yeah. But, it, you know, it, it equals out if you, you know, worked out the math like that, you'd lose like four pounds of fat in a week. Or, or so, you know, people say. And so during the first week, you know, it totally worked for her. But as time goes on, the weight loss stopped. So we got to ask, you know, what, what happened with this? So here's the result. I mean, did she lose some weight? Yeah, she absolutely did lose some weight. However, her hair also started to fall out. Um, she was extremely moody. She was always very tired. She had a total loss of interest. She became depressed, unmotivated, and then eventually fell off the bandwagon and regained all the weight. So that is what happens with everybody who goes on a calorie-restricted diet. I got this um, illustration from this book called The Obesity Code uh, by Jason Fung, and he talks about your metabolism like a, like a fire. And so... If you knew that, let's say that you have a little storage of firewood over here that you can tap into if you need it, and every day somebody delivers you, let's say, 10 pieces of firewood, well, that's pretty good, right? So the calories are kind of like the firewood. You know, you have some, like, reserved fat. You have, like, the food coming in every single day. And so you can just burn this fire and keep on going. Whatever size you want, whatever size of fire keeps you comfortable and warm, which is a good parallel for your metabolism because it literally you know, keeps you warm, keeps your body temperature up. But here's the problem. Let's say you cut your supply in half. And so instead of somebody delivering like 10 every day, they start delivering five every day. Well, this whole time you've been burning this fire at a certain 
you know, certain size to keep you warm, but you wouldn't continue burning wood at the same rate if the supply chain was cut in half. Logically, you'd go and say, oh, well, I'm only getting five now when I used to get 10. I have to reduce the amount that I'm burning so that I don't completely run out, right? And so your body does the exact same thing. When you reduce the amount of calories that are coming in, then your body will reduce the amount of calories that it's burning. And so if you were burning 2,000 and you cut your diet, your diet to 1,500, your body's going to compensate and it's going to start getting, you know, making you more tired. It's going to um, just basically slow down that metabolism. And then so you stop losing weight. If you look at, you know, just to kind of wrap up this calorie thing, um, there was this thing called the, and we're really close to Minnesota right now. This is interesting. It's called the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. And this is was during like World War II and they took um, like 36 patients and like healthy patients and they, they placed them into like a semi-starvation diet. And so basically they did like the control time period. They grabbed them for like three months and they fed them like uh, 3,200 calories. And then what they did is they put them on what they called starvation. How, how many calories a day do you think they considered starvation? Uh, Just take a guess. Less than 500? 1,800. 1,800 calories a day was considered semi-starvation. Not too different from the calorie-restricted diets today. So basically what happened was they got really cold, kind of like that fire we were talking about. So they had intolerance to cold temperatures. Um, It was the middle of summer. They requested blankets. They complained of dizziness, extreme tiredness, sore muscles, hair loss, reduced coordination. They had tinnitus. And some of them were forced to withdraw uh, from the study. But that just shows you that when you start reducing your calories, you need those calories in order to function. And if you start, if you ever do a diet that's goal is to reduce calories, it's going to fail because your body is just going to compensate by burning less. And then when you start eating, when you finally say, this diet is enough, I can't take it anymore, I feel like garbage, I'm not losing weight anymore, and you go back to eating the same amount of calories that you had before, not only will you gain the weight that you lost, you'll probably gain more because your metabolism takes time to speed up again. All right, so now that you crushed my dreams with counting calories, if it's not calories that we're counting, then uh, what is it? Because we got to have something that we can kind of quantifiably look at and try to uh, cut down on or modify in our everyday diet And so I am obviously leading you in with this question. Like it's an infomercial. (laughs) (laughs) But what are we looking at, Sam? Well, it all comes back to understanding how diabetes works. Because it's not a big deal if, you know, there's an obesity epidemic if it doesn't lead to other things. What we're scared of is obesity leading to metabolic syndrome. You know, hypertension, a bad lipid panel, depending on what your definition of a bad lipid panel is. Um, basically, and type 2 diabetes, uh, you know, heart, which lead to you know, heart attack, stroke, and things like that. We, we all know the correlation between, between those things. And so we're really concerned about people getting, basically developing type 2 diabetes. That's like the goal. Because when you, once you become insensitive to insulin, or um, some people say that a better term now is hyperinsulinemic, Uh, rather than just insulin resistance, Um, you have to understand how diabetes works. Basically, if you can understand how diabetes works, you can understand how to lose weight. So, well, let me ask you, like, what, 
in the most basic sense, what would you say is the difference between type 1 and type 2 diabetes? Uh, type 2 diabetes is insulin resistance as opposed to like type 1, I think of, well, the pancreas just isn't making insulin. Yeah, right. So let's say that you've got a, you've got a kid and um, they're growing up, everything seems to be normal, kid starts to act kind of sick. They can't put on any weight. They look kind of like skinny, emaciated, and stuff like that. You take them to the take them to the doctor. What diagnosis do you think they would make? A type one or type two? A type one. Type one, right? So they can't make insulin with their pancreas, and so they have a really hard time gaining weight. And so they look skinny. They look emaciated. No matter how much they eat, the sugar just builds up in their blood. So now let me say, um, let's go with your kid is gaining an exorbitant amount of weight and they're, you try cutting their calories back, all this kind of stuff. Nothing seems to be working. The kid is 20, 30 pounds overweight. They have, you know, they're in the overweight category now for their weight range or for their age range, and you take them into the doctor. What diagnosis do you think they yeah, would Yeah, that make? sounds more like a type 2 insulin yeah. resistance. Yeah, so they're like they're developing some insulin resistance, and they're going to say, yeah, unless you, you know, do something with this kid, they're going to develop full-blown, you know, diabetes so that actually is becoming a problem with kids for the first time like ever i mean it used to be that you'd never hear of a type 2 diabetic kid and now it's like yeah that's what they called it adult onset you know that's what we learn in paramedic school and emt school is that right type 2 is always adult onset so this the thing that depends or the thing that determines if they're going to be skinny or if they're going to be obese is what Insulin resistance. Yeah, or the amount of insulin that they have in their body, right? The and, and you're right, insulin resistance because the type one doesn't have a lot, and so whenever you have a hormone floating around and there's a ton of it, the body will start to become kind of like numb to the to the message a little bit, just like any hormone in our body. So there's there's even a, I mean, this isn't just a correlation type relationship; it's a causal relationship. Uh, doctors know that when you put somebody on insulin, they're going to gain weight. A really great um, illustration of this is uh, diabulimia, which is an eating disorder that is based around, and I don't want to like stereotype it, but generally it's it's younger type 1 diabetic females. And what they do is they they get diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and so they were initially very, very skinny. And they go to the doctor, yep, you have you know, high blood sugar, you have type 1 diabetes. Uh, I'm going to put you on insulin to help, manage your, to help manage your blood sugars. And they say, okay. And if they, especially if they eat like a bad diet full of sugar that has, uh, makes them take insulin frequently, they start to gain a lot of weight. And so where diabulimia comes into play is that these girls will purposefully not take their insulin so that they can lose weight. And so they'll deal with the high blood sugars and they'll make themselves sick to the point that um, you know, they don't feel well or you know, whatever the side effects may be of the high blood sugar just so that they don't gain the weight from the insulin. It's a, it's a causal, it's a predictable relationship. So this is why they say that insulin insensitivity might not be the best term because there are certain cells that'll be insulin sensitive and certain cells that'll be insulin insensitive. Did I say insensitive twice? No. Some in some sensitive, some <laughs> some insensitive. So 
it all comes back down to how full your liver is, basically. So if your liver has some glycogen stores and it can take insulin and it can move the um, glucose into the liver, then that's fine. Th that's, those are insulin-sensitive cells. But if the liver is full of glycogen and you introduce more glucose into the body, what it'll do is it'll just shuttle it around to like adipose tissues because the liver is full. And so then when that liver um, is full of glycogen, that's when we consider it insulin insensitive because it can't pack any more glucose into those cells. And so then it starts to go around the body and put it into adipose tissue. And that's when you know obesity starts to occur. It usually starts with a a fatty liver uh, because those cells are so jam-packed and then it starts to accumulate other places as well usually simultaneously because i'd always heard as insulin is like the fat storing hormone that's what we're trying to avoid and by studying that and looking at how that actually occurs we can try to cut back on our us gaining weight am i understanding that Correctly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, people have to understand that a calorie is not a calorie. You know, uh, food companies will have you believe, you know, Coca-Cola out here is out here sponsoring all kinds of medical studies. You have people taking money for them and just to say that a calorie is a calorie, but it's absolutely not true. No reasonable minded person could say that. Um, if I told you you had to ingest 500 calories of sugar every day, let's say a Coca-Cola or something, and I was going to eat 500 calories from kale or broccoli a day. At the end of a year, there is going to be a measurable difference between you and I, and one of us is going to be much more insulin sensitive, have gained more weight than the other one. There's a reason for that. A calorie is, is not a calorie. And when you look at those those calories, you know some things stimulate your insulin more than others, and the goal is to eat the stuff that stimulates your insulin absolutely the least. And so how that breaks down is any kind of sugar or carbohydrate spikes your insulin like crazy. And that makes sense because it's got to take all the sugar and put it inside cells. If you eat just plain fat, if we ate a diet straight fat, like a ketogenic diet, that doesn't stimulate your insulin like almost at all because it doesn't need to put any sugar inside of, inside of cells. Uh, and protein is kind of like the the moderate in between amount. My like, what is it called? Hungrylin. What what is that hormone that makes you hungry? You yeah, like I think uh, ghrelin. I might be misspeaking. No, I think you're right. Hold on. No, you're right. It is it is ghrelin, right? Ghrelin. Yeah, ghrelin. It might be one of the satiety hormones. I called it hungrylin. I don't know hungrylin. <laughs> <laughs> but th that's not like a uh, like a. A linear accelerating line where like if I'm starving right now well three hours from now I'm gonna be really hungry and that's something I had to wrap my head around is that those levels go up and down throughout the day and so I think we're accustomed to eating three meals four meals snacking so you will notice like peak times like around lunchtime yeah this is really hard noon 11 o'clock somewhere around there I get really hungry and then all of a sudden, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock comes by. I'm not even thinking about eating. And it's really easy to pass that 2, that two o'clock or 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock. But then when you break that fast, that's just as important as fasting. And I think that what you use to break that, if you're using, you know, if you, all right, I'm done. I'm going to have a muffin. And I'm going to, you basically are shooting yourself in the foot for all of that work that you just did. Because you're just going to burn that the next time. Yeah. Or you can kind of hit like a seesaw thing where like, you you know you're 
coming off of carbohydrates, you know, your sugar addiction. And then so you, yeah, you garbage out on a bunch of carbohydrates when you break your fast. And that could be like several days worth. Like I, I always tell people like, yeah, I stick to, you know, 14, 15 grams of sugar is like my max per day. And I'll see some people eating meals or, you know, drinking drinks that have like three, four, five, six, seven, eight times that amount. And I sit there and I think like, man, they just, they just had like over a week's worth of sugar in one single meal. I mean, that's crazy. You know, your, your body is just, is not built to handle that. It's going to slam as much as it can in your, in your liver. And then it's, you know, it goes straight to your, to your adipose uh, tissues. And so I, I also think it's important to note because we were kind of talking about working out before, because some people will be like, man, you know, I run marathons or I, you know, do this endurance work. I could never fast. Like I have to have constant glucose with me. I have to drink sports drinks and that kind of stuff. And I would invite anybody who thinks that way to check out um, Tim Noakes. He's a really influential guy down in uh, South Africa. And uh, I might be misspeaking on the country. Pretty sure that's where it was. Um, And he was a, was he a marathon runner or was he a, um, a cyclist? Anyway, he did some kind of endurance sport, and he thought that he could run his way or bike his way out of type 2 diabetes. And even though he was you know, a skinny guy, when he was doing these endurance races, constantly fueling his body with sugar eventually made him insulin resistant anyway, and he started to develop type 2 diabetes even though he was an athlete. And you see that happen to athletes all the time. But now what we're seeing is that people are going on ketogenic diets and fasting and they're breaking world records for endurance sports because they're not using short-term fuel to just you know get, get a sugar high and continue going. What they're doing is they're able to access the humongous store of fat energy that they have. Like a good illustration for that is that I just heard on the Low Carb MD podcast was that imagine there's a tanker truck going down the road and it's one of those huge like liquid tanker trucks and it runs on let's say like it runs on gasoline okay this truck runs on gasoline and it's got these huge tanks of diesel in the back like thousands and thousands of gallons and the truck runs out of gasoline on the side of the road it can't access the diesel that's in the huge tank that it's carrying. It's kind of ironic, right? It's got a bunch of fuel on board, but it can't access it. That's kind of how it is with people who are not what we call fat adapted, who can't access their body fat as energy. They run out of that short-term energy, the sugar, and then they crash because their body is not trained to run off of their huge, huge store of energy, which is the diesel that that truck is carrying, which is all their, their fat cells. That makes a lot of sense. And you, I mean, you can literally see it when somebody starts doing this. I mean, eating away at the fat on their face. I mean, you should, you sent me a picture of you the other day and you're like, oh, I looked really insulin resistant in that picture. You yeah. know, maybe just a little bit more fat on you. And I think that's the first place that you really start seeing it is in someone's face. And I don't know yeah. why that is. Do you remember what I did? What? I gave myself pancreatitis. <laughs> 
I was, I think I was trying to follow in Tyler's footsteps. Like I, <laughs> I, I grew up, you know, kind of skinny. And so I was thinking, I'm just going to eat a bunch of food all day long and I'm going to put on some muscle. And I got up to, you know, for me, you know, for my size frame, like almost 200 pounds was, was a lot. And I was eating like five meals a day. I was eating everything in sight. I was working with Joel Porter one time and you can ask him, he, he watched me use a piece of pizza as a brat bun with ice cream on top i am not kidding you and i had him try it he said it was delicious and it was (laughs) so that's the kind of stuff i was i was going totally overboard when i would go to bed at night i had to sleep sitting up because like my i couldn't actually like physically digest my food because it was like stuck in my throat and so i yeah i ended up giving myself (laughs) pancreatitis because my pancreas couldn't handle everything i was putting in there and then i sent you that picture the other day and yeah, I had the fat in my face. I was getting the double chin and you know, I had put on muscle, I had put on weight, but it was terrible weight to put on. And I can guarantee you at that time, probably the reason that I was feeling so sick all the time, you know, besides my pancreas eating itself was because I was, I was probably developing a little bit of insulin resistance. It was not healthy. Do you think, you know, somebody's doing this diet that you say cut out, you know, all these sugars, like I like to have a drink at night, you know, like occasionally on the weekends, have a couple glasses of bourbon, you know, there's beer, there's vodka. I mean, if I know obviously like the purest would probably be like vodka with like seltzer water or something like that. But wh- um, how do you view that? Because I mean, I know you like we, last night we both had a couple glasses of bourbon. So do you just allow yourself nights like that to kind of have a treat and then just moderate how often that happens? Yeah, so um, as far as alcohol goes, if you're going to do like one of these diets, beer is like pretty much totally off the table unless you're going to drink something like Michelob Ultra that has a couple carbs in it. But I mean, beer is basically liquid bread. So that's kind of pretty much off the table. So are sugary drinks. You know, there's a ton of sugar in those drinks. You'll totally ruin your progress. Um, But when it comes to like pure spirits, so like, let's say we, we just had like a shot of vodka or a shot of bourbon or some scotch or rum, you know, whatever it might be. When you think about how the body metabolizes that, so it is sugar, but it's sugar alcohol. And so my understanding of it, and somebody will have to fact check me on this, is that it will not long-term ruin your state of, let's say you're doing like a extreme low-carb diet, you're in ketosis, you know, you're burning ketones and stuff like that. If you, if I'm in ketosis and I go ahead and I have like last night and I probably am in ketosis right now, I had some bourbon. The way I understand that is that sugar alcohol burns extremely well. I mean, it's flammable, you know? So if you can put something in a flame and it goes up in flames, your body metabolizes that extremely fast and doesn't store it. So it doesn't store that sugar alcohol. What it does is it and that's sometimes you see people get flushed and warm when they drink and stuff like that. I mean, it's almost like you're putting it to the fire and you're burning that off right away. And so if I had been, you know, I'm totally fasted. Let's say I'm fasting for 48 hours, right in the middle of those 48 hours, 24 hours in, 24 hours left to go. I drank like a whole glass of bourbon. Only while that bourbon is in my system getting metabolized would I be out of ketosis. And then once it's burned up, I would go right back into it, is my understanding of it. Yeah, so I lit a bag of Doritos on fire one time. <laughs> and it burned super quick with it. No, but, my, you know, I would watch, like, these shows like Jersey Shore 
and these people would go out all night. You know, celebrities, you see them drinking and doing shots, and they're up all night long. And then these dudes are just like yoked when you look at their abs and stuff. And I'm like, how the hell are they doing that? Like, oh, a couple things. I mean, when you have guys that are would have a lot of like muscle mass or they constantly are burning off sugar, you can. It doesn't stop insulin resistance from developing, but you can make larger glycogen stores in your muscles. And so if they're depleted of glycogen, you can eat more carbohydrates, drink more garbage, and you can uh, get away with that without the fat going into the or the, the sugar going into the fat. Because especially if you've just worked out, the sugar will preferentially be moved preferentially. That's, that's the right a, that's word, right? Yeah, yeah. Be moved into the muscles instead of the fat. And so if you are, you know, a big yoked guy, you can totally get away with eating more carbs than than somebody who doesn't have as much muscle mass. But you have to work out a lot. A lot. To make the, to make up for that. Yeah, and that's why you see, you know, guys who are in the NFL and stuff, they're on this certain diet, but they're always constantly moving. And then when they, you know, aren't playing football anymore, you know, they gain just insane amounts of weight and then they have trouble with diabetes and stuff like that it's because before they were you know burning the sugar and they were storing it preferentially in the muscles instead of the fat once they weren't depleting those stores anymore then it went straight into the adipose tissues they got insulin resistance because they weren't using up the stores in their liver i feel like that's like the like the dad bod you know where they, yeah. they played football in high school they got the big shoulders and big arms and then as soon as they stop working out everything just blows out you know their yeah. faces get big and my dad doesn't listen to this so i can rip on him <laughs> a little bit too sorry todd i'm gonna send it to your sister oh <laughs> <laughs> well cool dude so what we're gonna do is we're gonna put all this information in the show notes um sam's got a diet plan and workout that he put together and I've been trying to convince him to put this out on foam frat so that way uh you guys can I'm see undecided. this he's still trying to figure out it's it's fantastic. What was the name of it? Oh, it's undecided. That's all. <laughs> I'll tell you the name of it later. But um, we're gonna put all this in there because we just we think it's super important that we kind of take a break from our normal material that we put out and talk about how to take care of yourself because the longevity, the wellness, the happiness, all of that really comes from feeling good about yourself, and it all goes into being professional, being um, creative, being the best version of yourself possible. And I feel like when all of this stuff is into play, it's really part of that Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, to really reach your self potentiation and the best version of yourself, you need good health, you need all of these things below it in order to get there. So we're going to put all this in the show notes. And I do want to just do I want to do one, um, recommend one book. Because, you know, if, if anybody's read this book before and then listened to this podcast, they, they recognize like where a lot of this stuff comes from. Um, and the book that really sold me on all of this was called The Obesity Code. And that's by Jason Fung. Um, and that is like the most amazing book. And if you read that book, you'll understand why obesity happens and, and how to manage it. I mean, it's just loaded with studies just loaded with examples extremely well written like i even if you don't have a weight issue i cannot stress the importance of that book enough and then also you know listen to the low carb md podcast and check out dietdoctor.com because there's so much information about this stuff out there for you know for for free or a very low price 
and it's totally invaluable. You, there's so much false information out there about the calories in, calories out thing and stuff like that, that it's no wonder that people have, have no idea, you know, what they should really be doing to lose weight. And Dr. Fung, he's an what, endocrinologist? Yeah, he's an endoc- um, nephrologist. A nephrologist. Yeah, and so he his experience comes from putting a lot of people on dialysis secondary to, you know, obviously kidney failure, secondary to diabetes, adult onset diabetes, and that's why he got involved and started looking at, like, why are we putting people who have way too much insulin in their body on insulin, making the problem worse? And so it's it's extremely interesting. And it's good for us just to know about diabetes in general. For I think it's yeah. something we oversimplify way too much in yeah. EMS, you know? And Even our current understandings are always evolving as far as what we consider insulin resistance, selective insulin resistance, um, hyperinsulinemia and, and things like that. And so there's, there's so much more to understand than just, you know, what's your blood sugar, what's your A1C, what's your you know BMI and stuff like that. 